So good, so, so good. I'm so glad to see you guys and to be able to study the Word of God with you and to enjoy the presence of God together. Aren't you glad to be in God's presence? Aren't you glad we don't have to strive and fight and claw our way into God's presence? His presence is here. His presence is in you. His presence is in me. His presence is among us. And uh, he'll never leave us or forsake us. Aren't you glad about that? So, wow. Um, well, let's get into God's word tonight. Um, last, uh, last Wednesday, I began to talk to you about the goal of it all. What is the goal of it all? What is the ultimate goal of what we are, why we're here, what our purpose is, what, our, what the ultimate goal is, what the ultimate prize is, what the ultimate reason is. You know, when you don't understand your reason, when you don't understand your cause, you, you just live because rather than by cause. And God wants you to live by cause, not because. When you just live because, because I'm here, because I, I was born because I'm just trying to make it, because I'm just trying to survive, because I'm just trying to work through my family situation, my financial situation, just living because, um, you tend to be depressed. You'll tend to, to look to, to other substitutes for the substance that comes from, um, from, what, from, from, from true purpose. And, um, but when you really understand the cause of why you're on earth, why you're born, what you're created for, boy, you really, there, there's peace that comes, there's joy that comes, there's, there's a contentment that comes. And, 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 and you, you step into the next season or the next, the next place of your destiny and your, and your purpose. So we ha once we understand what our what the ultimate goal is, then we can then make progress towards the steps or make progress in the steps that uh, that follow. Yeah, so yeah. so let's talk about that and let's open our Bibles to. Well, I want to show you something in Mark chapter three for a minute. Mark chapter three, verse twenty seven, because Jesus said Mark chapter three, verse twenty seven, Jesus said, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. In other words, you have to to first identify and and subdue the, the 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 strong man so that you can take back the goods that he has stolen from you, because we're assuming you're not taking somebody's stuff by stealing it, but you're taking back your stuff, taking back what belongs to you. How many know that the devil is the thief. The devil is the, the strong man that has taken your stuff and filled his house with it. And we got to go back. We got to get in there and grab our stuff back and take our stuff back. But you can't you see, you can't bind the strong man in. Or you can't take your stuff back until you bind the strong man. And, and you have to identify how the devil operates and what he's doing and what he's up to. And and what he's up to is he's a thief and a liar. And uh, once you get a hold of that, then you realize that this is not somebody to be messing with and not somebody to be trifling with 
and not somebody to be foolhardy about, but it's to be taken seriously. There is a real devil in the earth and he's trying to steal, kill and destroy you. He's trying to lie to you about your purpose and about your uh, your value and about your your the, the reason you're here. And and it, it really doesn't matter how you got here. You 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 might have been born into a you might have been a only child uh, born into a family that never meant to have you. You might have been born into a big family that never meant to have you. You might have been born an only child in a family that meant to have you. You might be a, in a big family where where they didn't they meant or didn't mean to have you. It, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you like I, we can't look back and try to uh, try to sanitize how we got here and sanitize what happened in our upbringing. It's just that God was willing to get you here because your purpose was more and more, more powerful and more meaningful and more significant than whatever pain that you've been through and whatever pain you had to come through and whatever pain brought you into this world and whatever pain you grew up with. You know, you could look at somebody's life and say, gosh, it almost seems like it would have been better for that person not to have been born than to go through all the things that they've gone through. Maybe your life feels like that sometimes. And and I cert, I'm certain that, you know, somebody like that and you're or you, you're related to somebody like that or you are somebody like that. that if you look back at your life and go, wow, man, it, it almost seems like it would have been better for me not to have been born. Look at all the pain or this person. Look at all that that person's gone through. Look at this misfortune, the disadvantage, the the poverty, the the pain, the abuse that that person went through. And yet, if you if you step back and say, wow, God still outvalues you and sees you as more valuable and sees you like he understands all the pain and he understands all the trouble and he understands all that you've been through and yet still knew it would be better for you to be here than not to be here. So that must give you hope that there's something bigger, there's something greater, there's something more powerful and there's a greater purpose that God has for you to be here because he knew all the pain you were going to go through and he knew that you'd ask the question, maybe it would have been better if I hadn't have been born. And yet he still brought you into this world. And it is no accident and it is not a coincidence and it is not a it, it is not man's doing that brought you into this world. God knew you before the foundation of the world. He loved you before the foundation of the world. He called you before the foundation of the world and he died for you before the foundation of the world. The Bible says that the that Jesus was crucified. The Lamb of God was crucified before the foundation of the world. In other words, in as far as God was concerned, it was already done. It was already settled. He was going to pay whatever price he had to pay to ransom you back and to get you back so that you could be redeemed and your purpose could be redeemed and your value could be redeemed. And let me tell you something, this is going to be your greatest season that you're about to step into your greatest days. If you listen to what if you listen to the word today, if you listen to what God is saying to you and through me and and somehow by the spirit of God from his word, oh man, you are going to have the greatest time of your life. You're going to step into the greatest days of your life. It doesn't matter how young or how old you are. It doesn't matter how misfortunate you've been. It doesn't matter how blessed you've been or how cursed you might have felt. It's all going to get better 
when you understand your purpose and the goal of it all. All right. So here it is. It's really simple. We come to we come to uh, the place in Scripture in in Matthew, Chapter four. Let's look there. Matthew, Chapter four. And I used to think when Jesus was tempted. He was tempted with three things, and I used to think, OK, so he was tempted with this, he was tempted with that, and then he was tempted with this. He's trying to figure it out. OK, what does this mean? And then I realized there's only one thing that Satan was after. Because there's only one ultimate goal for why you exist and why I exist. And so there's only one thing the devil is really ultimately after. And he he hemmed and hawed and beat around the bush a little bit until the end of this moment of temptation or these days of temptation. You know, it was 40 days. Jesus fasted and he's in the wilderness. And when he became hungry, it says uh, Satan tempted him. And if, if you look at verse um, chapter four, verse two, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know, in the great hymn, A Mighty Fortress. Anybody remember that hymn? That's a great one. That's uh, boy, you could just you could. It's so full of revelation. It's so full of God's word. Listen to some of these lyrics. It says, I think it's the second or third verse, and it says the prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. One little word shall fell him. One little word shall fell him. You know, and then he doesn't tell us, you know, Martin Luther wrote that that uh, that hymn, A Mighty Fortress. He doesn't tell us what that one little word is that will fell the devil, that will cause the devil to fall. But Jesus does, because when he uses this word, when he says it is written, it's actually a um, Greek word, obviously, Latin, Greek, uh, Aramaic, and it's the word Gagraptai, gagraptai. It's three words in English. It is written. It's one word in the original language. Gagraptai, just like when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It's one word in Greek. It's tetelestai. It is finished. It means it, it means the, the battle is over. It is finished. It means the battle is over. Tetelestai, one word. The battle is over. The price has been paid. The victory is yours. The sentence has been served. This is how that word was used in the we don't we won't have time to break that down, but that's how the word tetelestai was used in at the time in the Greek world. It meant more than what we like. We put these three words together in English. It is finished. We say, OK, so what's finished? He died on the cross. He died for our sins. Yes, all of that. But it means the sentence had been has been served. It means the price has been paid. It means the victory has been won. 
those are the, that is what this one word, one little word can fell him. One little word will fell the devil. And when he when he says it is written, that is one little word. And when he says it is finished, that is one little word. And 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 we have to we have to come to this place where we take what's written very seriously, because all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. The Bible is given to us the word of God. It's breathed by God. You know, sometimes we have to go back to the beginning so that we can truly appreciate what is sitting in our lap. This Bible, it is God's word. It is living and active. It's sharper than a two edged sword. It's it's the bread of life. It is our hope. It is our it is a the entrance of his word brings light. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It is brings healing and deliverance. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from destruction. I mean, you think about the power in this word. It cuts through all the garbage in life. It cuts through all your fears. It cuts through all your worries. It cuts through all your anxieties. It cuts through all the lies of the devil because he's a liar and all he wants to do is tell you three things that are just not true. And I'm getting to it. I know I'm getting to it. But you got to understand that this is what we need to wake up every day and we need to use this as a weapon against the lies that the enemy uses to rob us of the purpose for which we were born and the purpose for which we are here and the purpose for which you wake up every day. Because you know what? If you don't wake up tomorrow, you don't have to worry about this. But if you wake up tomorrow, you better know what I'm talking about here today. When Jesus says, I, I used to think, so if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. OK, that's temptation number one. Jesus said it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Next temptation. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here from here. It's at the pinnacle of the temple, the highest place in Jerusalem. Throw yourself down. You are oh, your angels will catch you. And for they will, you know, he will give his angels charge concerning you. The devil actually quotes some of the Bible from Psalm 91. He'll give his angels charge over you. They'll bear you up in their hands as you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus said it is written that um, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Right. And then the devil says he takes them and he shows them all the kingdoms of the world in verse eight. And he takes them to the high mountain, shows them the kingdom of the world and all his and all of its glory. And in Luke chapter and, and he says to him, I you see all these kingdoms, I will give them to you. If you fall down and worship me now in Luke's version of this in Luke chapter four, I think it's also in verse six. The devil actually makes it even clearer and says all this authority and all this glory, I will give it to you for it has been delivered or it has been given to me and I will give it to whoever I wish. And, you know, we have to ask ourselves why he would say this. And so let me explain a little bit of why he said this, because when when God created Adam and Eve, he created Adam and Eve with all authority and with all dominion and said, you have authority and dominion over everything and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And it's this this earth is I, I made it 
but it's yours. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, rule the earth, subdue the earth. And he gave him total dominion. God gave Adam and Eve total dominion over the earth. And when Adam and Eve, when when Satan came to challenge God's word, did God really say Genesis 3, 1, did God really say that you shall not eat from the tree? Oh, well, he said, yeah, don't eat from it or touch it lest we die. You shall not die for God knows the day you eat from it. You'll be like him, knowing good and evil. And he just doesn't want you to do that. He doesn't want you to have that. He doesn't want you to be like him. They already were like him. He doesn't want you to have the knowledge that he could have asked him anything. They had all knowledge. They could have eaten from every tree of the field and every tree in the garden except that one. And they could have had anything. They could have gone to their father. They were in fellowship. They walked with God in the cool of the day. They could have asked him anything. Knowledge of good and evil. Who needs to eat from a tree of knowledge of good and evil when you're walking with the God who knows all good and evil and all knowledge and all wisdom? He, they, that, there might have been a tree of knowledge of good and evil, but they had the, the tree of what the tree of wisdom in their midst. And they could have eaten of him and taken and asked him anything at any time. So 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 when Satan tricks Adam and Eve or deceives Eve and gets Adam and Eve to bow their knee to him by obeying him, because whoever you obey, that's your master. So when they obeyed Satan rather than God, Satan became their master. And guess what? All the kingdoms now belong to him. So in Luke four, verse six, when he says, if you can look there again and see that, see the scripture, he says, look, all these kingdoms and all this authority and all their glory has been delivered to me. It was delivered to the devil by Adam and Eve bowing their knee to him. And now I will give this to whomever I wish. And they and, and I wonder if Satan was thinking of this scripture because he knew he, he knew the Bible. He knows the Bible better than most Christians know the Bible, sadly. And I wonder if Jesus was thinking about this scripture, because in Psalm chapter two, let's look, let's look over there. Psalm chapter two. Look at this. So Jesus, this was God's will for Jesus. And it says, well, over in we'll start in verse, um, I think, verse nine, Psalm chapter two. And verse nine. Well, verse uh, eight says, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and you shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Kiss the son. Verse. Look at verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled or it's kindled. But a little blessed are all of those who put their trust in him. Now. We'll get to this kiss the son, lest he be angry, because can God really is, is God angry? Um, we know that. His anger was but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. But he did. He, but believe me, his anger was very real. He, Jesus absorbed it. 
He poured out all God poured all his wrath out on Jesus. But he was angry. God was angry at, at sin. God. But here when he says kiss the sun, it's actually let me go back to Luke four, verse six. And we'll come back to kiss the sun if we have time, because I got to get this out. Um, if you go back to verse um, six here. So I wonder if Jesus was thinking about Psalm chapter two. Hey, the father said that I'm supposed to have all the kingdoms and I'm supposed to have all the glory. And you got to imagine, you got to understand the condition Jesus was in at this time. And he said, and I will give it to whomever I wish if you just bow down and worship me, if you just bow down and worship me. And my point here. I know it's taken a long road to get here, but I want you to really hear this is that this is the goal of it all. Satan is after one thing and one thing only. And that is your worship. He doesn't want God to be worshiped. Now, Jesus identifies what worship is and gives us three things that define what worship truly is, because so many people are confused about worship is worship when we slow down the music and where we dim down the lights and where we play more strings and less less drums and less guitar. Is that the worship when we sing songs of adoration? Is that worship? And I'm here to tell you that is not worship. That's singing. That's adoration. But it is not worship because you can be singing a song, but missing what worshiping Jesus is all about, which is what the devil is after. All the devil ultimately wanted. That's why he beat around the bush. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. He wasn't concerned about Jesus and the bread. He wasn't even concerned about Jesus. If you're really the son of God, he knew it was he knew Jesus was the son of God and Jesus knew he was the son of God. Satan is after Jesus worship. Satan does not want Jesus to worship God. Satan wants to interrupt Jesus worship as he wants to interrupt yours. And that's the ultimate goal in life and the ultimate reason why we're born and the ultimate purpose for which we were created is to worship God. But hear me when I say this, worshiping God isn't singing a song. What is it? Thank you. All right. I was waiting for somebody to ask. I was stalling for somebody to ask. Finally. Listen, we have to understand what it's not so we can understand what it is also. But it, it's not singing. There's no singing going. If you bow down and worship me, the devil wasn't looking for a hymn. He wasn't looking for a song. He wasn't looking for a, a, a melody. He was looking for Jesus to abandon three things. I mentioned them last time. We'll say it again. But I want you to understand why Satan hates worship. And then I'll explain to you what it is. It's in Isaiah chapter 14, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. Isaiah chapter 14. And look at what he says, Isaiah 14, verse 12. Look at the devil. The devil is a lie. Come on. Look at what God says, how you have fallen. 
from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. Verse 13, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. This was in Satan's heart. This was in Lucifer's heart. And this is why he doesn't want you to worship God, because that's all he's ever wanted was to be worshiped. All he's ever wanted was to ascend above the heights and the clouds and be like the most high. And the, the enemy, the devil is jealous of you. And you got to stop being jealous of anybody else and realize Satan is jealous of you because you have the ability to live in the purpose for which you were born, which is to worship God. This is what he hates. He hates worship. He doesn't care about singing. He doesn't mind songs. Satan doesn't Satan doesn't flee when you sing. The Bible says he flees at the at the sound of God's word, at the voice of God's word. Angels run to yield to the voice of God's word. And Lucifer is a fallen angel. Therefore, just as it says, angels hearken. It says in Psalm 103, verse 20, bless all you angels who hearken to the voice of God's word. They hearken. Look at they hearken or heed the voice of his word. This is what angels are bound to do. They are bound to heed the word, the voice of the word, not just the voice of God, but the voice of his word. So Satan and demons are fallen angels. So when you speak God's word, even they have to heed the voice of the word. That's why we don't have to yell and shout and scream and sing to get the devil. Just the voice of his word. It says that and Jesus cast them out with a word and Jesus healed them with a word. One little word has failed him. One little word. Now, listen. Understand. Jesus condition when Satan made this offer to him, deprived, tired and hungry, and Jesus offers him splendor and glory alone with the wild animals, it says in Mark's version, and de the devil offers him significance. He's waiting for 40 days and the devil offers off and waiting for the glory of God, because it was God's will to give him the kingdoms. And Satan offers him instant results. 
Jesus in 40 days of fasting has not accomplished anything in that 40 days in the natural. Not a miracle, not a healing, not a sermon, nothing. And the devil offers him power to do whatever he wants. Now, listen to me. This offer that the devil's making to Jesus. Is not an unreasonable or inaccurate offer. It's just worshiping God means that we don't have any other source except God. He's our only source. Let me tell you, if you go back to um, what Jesus said, this Satan says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread, right? So worship is the goal of it all. And worship, this is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus was doing on this mountain and in the wilderness and in this season of temptation. You know what Jesus was doing? Worshiping God. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. So the first pillar of worship is to understand and maintain your identity as a son or daughter of God. Listen, it shifts the whole focus of what we've been trained to think worship is like we think we praise God with loud songs and we worship him with slower songs and then we obey him as much as we can. And that is not that is not what Jesus is teaching us here. He's teaching us that worship starts with understanding and maintaining your true sense of identity as a son or daughter of God. And and this is what Satan is going after to push him away from worship, to push him off of worship. And what is worship? Number one, it is to identify and believe in your identity as a son or daughter of God. Every time I say I am a son of God, I'm worshiping him. Every time I say, shut up, devil, I don't believe that lie that I'm condemned. I don't believe that lie that I'm accused. I don't believe that lie that I'm that, 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 that God's not that God hasn't made me a part of his inheritance or that he hasn't made me his son. Every time I resist that lie, I'm worshiping God. Every time I say this is who I am, I'm worshiping God. See, we've thought that worship is just all about it's just all about focusing on Jesus. Like who can do that 24 hours a day? I gotta give fix oh, like I got a oh, Jesus. Like I can't think anything else. I got to think about Jesus and sing to him and worship him and adore him and have a heart yielded to him and all of that. It sounds so good, but it's not what worship ultimately is. It's ultimately to say, you know what? I am not going to move off of this position that I am a child of God bought by the blood of Jesus and I am his son or I am his daughter. And I guarantee you, this is what Satan is trying to uh, to upset. This is what he's trying to 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 dismantle in Jesus mind who he is, your identity and standing on that identity, understanding it and then standing under it is what worship is and where worship begins. Listen. 
you say, well, how could worship have to do with me? Because it, it, it has to do with you, because to truly worship God is to honor and acknowledge what he has done to make you who he has made you to be and to to question that is to dishonor what he did on the cross. That's what it means. In fact, when he says to take communion, when we're taking communion, he who eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner uh, brings judgment because there is no protection from rejecting what Jesus did on the cross. So eating this bread or drinking this cup in an unworthy manner is to is to eat the bread and drink the cup and then say, I wonder if Jesus did enough for me. But when you say it is more than enough. Now you're worshiping him. You're to worship is to give him worth. If you if you listen to the lie about yourself, that you're not a son or daughter of God and the price hasn't been paid or you have to maintain your obedience to maintain your identity, then you are not giving Jesus the worth that he deserves. You're not giving what he did on the cross the worth that he deserves. Now, I know I took a long road to get here again, but it's worth ship. It's he's everything he did has the worth and the value to cause you to be made in God's image as his son or daughter. And this is what Satan is after your identity, because when you don't believe in your identity as a son or daughter of God, you're not worshiping God. When you believe what he did makes you his son or daughter. That's worship. It's what Satan's after. This is what Satan's going for. He's just warming Jesus up to the ultimate temptation, which is to worship anything other than God by doubting your sonship. By questioning it. And the second thing he says, throw yourself down, your angels will catch you. Why is he telling him to throw himself down and his angels will catch him? Because the goal of it all is to, number one, understand and maintain your sense of true identity as a son or daughter of God. And the goal of it all is to understand your value and your significance. So when Satan says, throw yourself down from here, it's sort of like, go ahead and just throw yourself down. Your angels will catch you. Throw yourself off this cliff because you can sort of play with your destiny. And listen, you can't play with your destiny. You can't throw it around. You can't you can't trifle with it. You can't mess with it. You can't you can't just treat it as some thing that you that you just jump off and, and hopefully God will catch it like God will catch you. Angels will catch you. Just throw yourself. Just throw. no. you have value. You have significance. And every time you believe in your value and you believe in your significance and you believe in what God made you, you're worshiping God. But Satan's Satan's like, no, man, just throw yourself down. Your angels will catch you like to take 
your calling that lightly. Careless. Carelessly. To take it lightly. To to walk out of here and forget what worship is, is to be careless, to forget. Okay, three pillars of worship. What are they? Number one. What is it? It's to understand and maintain your identity as a son or daughter. You don't have to maintain your identity, but you have to maintain your your understanding of it. You have to nurture your understanding of it. You could not drag it out of me. You could not beat it out of me. You could not trial it out of me, no matter how many trials I go through, no matter how many weaknesses I uncover in my life or how many weaknesses life uncovers, it cannot rob me of what Jesus paid for me to have. And when I attach my sense of identity to what Jesus did for me to give me that identity to make me his son, to make you his son or daughter, I'm worshiping him. When I attach my value and significance to what Jesus was willing to pay. Now, I used to think that Jesus death on the cross is what gave me value. And it's partially true, but it's it's just a step beneath the, the, the real truth of the matter, because here's what it is. God is way smarter than us. So he would never invest the best that he has in something that didn't have worth and value. So for God to so love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For him to do that is not, oh, he's so merciful to the pitiful. He's so merciful to the pathetic little worms that we were. And once we got saved, then we had value. No, we got saved because we had value. You don't save something that doesn't have value to you. You don't look for something that doesn't have value to you. You don't rescue something that doesn't have value to you. You don't die on a cross for something that doesn't have value to you. Do you realize if you get this right, that you have so much value that Jesus would risk everything for you, that he would do anything he had to to seek and to search and to find that which was lost. Whoa, your your sense of purpose goes through the roof. My God, you realize he did all that. He values me that much rather than, well, you know, he died for you because you're just a filthy scum, little worm sinner. You're just the lowest of all creation. You just pitiful thing. You. Yes, we became pitiful in our sin. Yes, we fell short of the glory of God. Yes, the wages of sin is death. Yes, no man is good. And yes, all have sinned and and fallen short and all have this darkness and death and children of Satan, (laughs) literally. And those are our good points before we're saved. But we were we were children of the devil. We were under his authority. And listen, God still saw what you were meant to be. 
And when you believe that. You're worshiping him. Those who worship me. The true worshipers, which means there is a false version of worship for Jesus to say the true worshipers worship. The father seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. See, when you believe a lie, you're not worshiping God. When you believe the truth, you're worshiping God. And the truth is you're a son or daughter of God. And the truth is these are the three most fundamental truths of existence. These are the three things that Satan went after, because these are the three things that represent what worship is. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. In other words, I want you to misunderstand who you are. I want you to doubt who you are. I want you to have to prove who you are. I want you to have to question who you are. So you will have to do something to prove to yourself that you are worthy to be called a son of God. And I am telling you, that's why Jesus said it is written. That's why Jesus refused. That's why Jesus wasn't even even though he was tempted, he he, he knew that that is not going to happen. I do not have to turn anything into anything. I don't have to do any magic. I don't have to do a miracle. I don't have to heal anybody. I don't have to die on the cross. I don't have to preach the gospel. I don't have to do anything to be a son of God, to be the son of God. And you don't have to do anything to be a son or a daughter of God. And that is what you need to resist the lie. Then you have to resist the lie that says, oh, you have to be a doctor to be significant. You have to be a entertainer to be significant. You have to be a singer. You have to have money. You have to have looks. You have to be blonde. You have to be brunette. You have to be figure this and you have to have this shape and you have to be rich and you have to be a, a, a athletic and you have to be smarter than the, the, the average. Bear. You have to. This is what Satan is after. Every time you have to be something, have something, achieve something to be valued. Then you've stopped worshiping God. And every time you believe in the value and the worth that Jesus died for in you, you're worshiping God. And then he says, see all these kingdoms, I'll give them to you. The goal of it all, the goal of it all is to receive all that God has for you. God's way in God's timing. Rather than if you bow down and worship me, ah, there was the trick. He couldn't trick him with the turn the stones into bread. He couldn't trick him with throw yourself down. So he tries to trick him with, oh, see all these kingdoms. You can have them. And Jesus might have thought in his delirious state of mind, fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Yeah, that's that's what God wants me to have these kingdoms. And there are many things that God wants you to have. 
But there is God's way of receiving them. And there is some other way. And God wants you to receive them from him. God wants you to trust him as your source and your only source, because when you trust him as your source and your only source, you are truly worshiping God. When you have to bow to anything to have what God wanted you to have, then you are not worshiping God. You see, the goal is not receiving what God has for you. The goal is receiving it from him and trusting him for it, because when you trust him for it, you're truly worshiping God. And the goal is to worship God, not to have the things. It's not even to receive the things. It's to worship God. And when you receive them from him and look to him and trust him, you're worshiping God. The first thing you did when you got saved is you worshiped God by getting saved. You worshiped him. Why? Because you believed what he did for you, because you accepted him. You received him. You received hope his way. You looked for it every other way. But as soon as you looked for it his way, you worshiped him. As soon as you got it his way, you're worshiping him. It's this is oh my God, when you get this, you don't all these things, all these promises. He said he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things? But there is a right way and a wrong way to receive all things. And God's way for you to receive is to trust him. Any other way is a shortcut and it's not worth having. It's not worth having. It doesn't matter to me if it's healing, if it's blessing, if it's prosperity, if it's money, if it's any none of it, none of it is worth having if you don't receive it from God. By trusting him. Worshiping God ultimately is trusting him. Let's stand together. This is the goal of it all. So worship. When you walk out of here. It is to understand. And believe in your identity and maintain your faith in what who God says you are as a son or daughter of God. Worship is to understand your value and your significance. By not being careless, taking lightly how important you are. Why would anybody take their own life? They don't value themselves. Why would anybody let themselves be cut up, their soul to be cut up in pieces to buy their sense of significance? Why does a prostitute cut up her soul or his to diminish her sense of worth by cutting it up in pieces that can be paid for with money. But we do that without prostituting ourselves sexually. We do that by questioning our sense of value and significance. And I want you to leave here and realize Jesus is way smarter 
than any human beings ever been. And if he would pay for you with his own blood, it's because he believed he was getting a good deal. No Jewish carpenter is going to settle for a bad deal. He wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to I'm going to give them myself and I'm going to get them. We're seated with Christ. Joint heirs with him. Kings and priests ruling and reigning with him. He considers you his blood brother, his blood sister his twin brother, his twin sister. He is your Esau and you are his Jacob. And all you need to do is grab a hold of his foot, just like Jacob grabbed a hold of Esau's and just hang on to the gospel. How beautiful is the feet? How beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news? The foot is the gospel. The foot represents the gospel. We just hold on to the gospel of what Jesus did for us. We believe that we have his blessing. We have his rights. We have the rights of the firstborn, even though we're the secondborn, even though we're the twin that doesn't have the right to the blessing, even though we came out second, he came out first, but he's the firstborn of many brethren. But we're the brethren that he's the firstborn of. You get a hold of that, you get a hold of your value, you get a hold of God wants you to have it all, but he wants you to have it his way. My God, you're worshiping him now. Now you're finding your purpose. And at that at that moment, Jesus came down. In the power. Of the Holy Spirit. And began to fulfill his destiny because. He knew the goal of it all was to worship God. Boy, go into this new season of your life as a true worshiper now.